Chapter Twenty Eight, brought before the gods, of the lost city. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City, by Joseph E. Badger Jr. Chapter Twenty Eight, brought before the gods. Once again, Azotl the red heron, was bowing humbly before the children of the sun-god, but now there was stern grief, impressed visage, rather than pure devotion, such as one might feel at the feet of a divinity. And the face of Victo was unusually pale, her lips tightly compressed to keep them from trembling too visibly, while her arm clasped Gladys with almost fierce love in its warm strength. Azotl glanced upwards for a moment, then slowly spoke. "'Such are the commands laid upon thy captain of guards, daughter of Quetzal, the fair god. He hath been commanded to fetch Victor and Gladi to the Teocalili, there to be—no!' With an outbreak of fierce rebellion, drawing his superb figure erect, and gripping javelin until the springy ash quivered, as though suddenly winning life for itself— the gods lie. They are speaking falsely, or—or or the Paba lies, when trying to thus interpret the oracle. Gladys shrunk away, but her mother stood firm, seeming to gain in coolness and nerve what this ardent servant was losing. "'It must be thus, my good friend,' she spoke, in low, even tones. "'The word hath come to a soldier, and obedience is his first duty.' Not when obedience means leading to sacrifice. That may never come, good Azotl. We have committed no sin, in deed or in thought. The mother of gods will not lay claim to an innocent victim. Or even, then, the right shall triumph. Tlacopa is powerful, but hath Victo no influence. Lord Hua may throw his influence to the wrong side, but hath truth no answer. If not truth, then death sternly vowed the captain of the bodyguard. If Donatiwa fails to punish the enemies of his daughter, then this right arm shall hurl the false prince down, Miklantuetli, grim lord of the underworld. "'What is it all about, mother?' murmured Gladys, clinging in sore fright to the side of her Amazonian relative. "'Surely the people will not. Surely we need not go forth to—' A mother's kiss closed those quivering lips, and then, with far more assurance than she really could find in her heart, Victoria bade her child fear nothing, that all would come aright in a brief while. Little by little, the maiden's terrors were calmed, and then she took position by her parent's side, with a greater display of nerve than might have been anticipated. Through all, Azotl, waited, fiercely silent, held from open rebellion, only by the influence of the woman whose very life was now menaced. And as the sun-children stood before him, in readiness to comply with the commands issued by those in high authority, the red heron broke bonds. "'Say but one word, daughter of Quetzal, and all this shall never come to pass. Give me but permission to—' What wouldst thou do, good Azotl? Surround the sun-children with their loyal bodyguard, and defend them, 
while one brave might strike blow or hold shield in front of their sacred charge. Slowly yet fiercely declared the captain, eyes telling how dearly he longed to receive that permission. But Victo shook her head in slow negation. She was still cool of brain enough to realize how fatal such course would be in the end. If one deadly blow should be dealt, the end could be but one, annihilation to both defended and defenders. Then, too, she recalled the wondrous tidings brought the evening before by Ixtli and his comrade. Friends were seeking to rescue them, and if only time might be won, it must be played for then. And so his petition finally denied, with no other course left open to take, the Red Heron summoned his picked band and, with the sun-children in their midst, left the temple, crossed the plain, and slowly marched into the war-god's Teokalili. In awed silence a vast number of Aztecs followed that little procession, silent as they, yet clearly anticipating events of far more than ordinary importance. And thus the foredoomed women were taken before the great stone of sacrifice, whereupon lay a snow-white lamb, bound past the possibility of struggling. Close beside the prepared sacrifice stood the head-priest, Tlacopa, robed for the awesome ceremony, sacrificial knife in hand, temples crowned as customs dictated, eyes blazing as vividly as they might if backed by living fire. Not far distant stood Watson, head bandaged and face none the better looking for his floundering fall when his sash gave way the evening before. And as he caught the passing gaze of the woman whom he had so basely persecuted, a repulsive smile showed itself the grin of a veritable fiend in human guise. Sternly cold and outwardly unmoved, the captain of guards performed his sworn duty, then in grim silence awaited the end. And in like manner each man of that carefully selected band rested upon his arms. A brief pause, during which the utter silence grew actually oppressive, then the head-priest lifted a hand as though commanding full attention before he should speak. Then, in tones which were by no means loud, yet which were modulated so as to fill that expanse most perfectly, Tlacopa recited the grave accusations brought against the false children of the mighty sun-god. To their evil influence he attributed the comparative failure of crops which had now cursed their fair people throughout the past years. Unto them, he claimed, belonged the evil credit of many untimely deaths which had covered so many proud heads with the ashes of mourning and of despair. To their door might be traced all of misfortune with which the favored children of the mighty gods had been so sorely afflicted. In proud silence, Victor listened to this deliberate arraignment, not deigning to interpose denial or offer plea in self-defense, until the Paba was clearly at an end. And even then she gazed upon Tlacopa with eyes of scorn and lips which curled with contempt. A low murmur from the eager crowd told how anxious they were to hear more, and taking her cue from that, Victor made a graceful motion with her white hand following it by words that sounded rarely sweet in their deep mellowness after the harsh dry notes of the papa. 
dares to bring such base charges against the daughters of Quetzal? Who are our accusers, head-priest? Did Tilacopa shrink from that queenly presence? If so, twas but another cunning device intended to pave the way to complete success, to catch the fickle fancy of his audience, by rendering his retort all the more effective. Who dares accuse us of wrongdoing? Again demanded the Amazonian mother, speaking for her child as well, around whose waist her left arm was clinging as a needed support. The mother of all the gods! forcibly replied the priest, now casting aside all presence of timidity, and gazing into that proud face, with eyes which were filled with fire of hatred and jealousy. The all-powerful Sentiotl hath made known the awful truth through the lips of the infallible oracle, my children. She hath declared that no smile shall be turned towards the children of the Anuak, so long as false prophets disgrace this great city. She hath demanded the sacrifice. Who can bear witness to any such demand? Sternly interposed the captain of the bodyguard, unable to listen longer in silence. Tlacopa flashed an evil look his way, but from the audience issued another murmur, rising louder until it took upon itself the shape of words, demanding indubitable proof that the oracle had indeed spoken thus. And, no longer daring to rely upon his own authority, Tlacopa turned to the sacrificial stone whereupon lay the helpless lamb, bowing knee and lifting face as he volubly repeated the customary invocation— just then it appeared far more nearly an incantation. Having thus complied with all the requirements of his office, the Paba first kissed his blade of sacrifice, then seized the lamp and turned it upon its back, one hand holding it helpless, while with the other he ripped the poor beast wide from throat to tail, then, making a swift cross-slash, laid bare the cavity, and exposed the quivering heart. Dropping his knife, Dlacopa grasped this vital organ, fiercely tearing it away, drawing back where all might see, as he lifted the heart on high for inspection. One brief look appeared to satisfy his needs, for he gave a fierce shout as he hurled the bleeding heart towards the accused, then cried, "'An omen! An omen!' The mother of the gods claims her victims. End of chapter twenty eight.